Welcome to the Pro-Life Team podcast. I'm Dr. Jill Simons, pediatrician and executive director of the American College of Pediatricians. I'm here with Jacob Barr. And today we are talking about the harms of the transgender ideology uh, movement and its connection to the pro-life movement uh, and some of the wonderful solutions we've thought of uh, and the, the direction this needs to go. So Jill, I'm excited to have you on the Pro-Life Team podcast. Welcome. Would you introduce yourself as if you were talking to a small group of pregnancy clinic leadership teams, maybe specifically executive directors, but also the medical uh, team leaders on their team? Yeah, thanks for having me, Jacob. Uh, my name is Dr. Jill Simons. I'm a general pediatrician, and I'm also the executive director of the American College of Pediatricians. And um, we, the mission of ACPEDS is to just do what's best for children. And that starts in the pre-born uh, period. And so we work to protect the rights of our smallest patients uh, every day. Wow. I'm so glad that you're on here because there's that. Well, I feel like your group has been fighting in a space where the rest of us are starting to catch on that there is a fight and, and we're starting to realize how well connected it is to the work within pregnancy clinics. Um, would you talk about the, the launch of the biological integrity, you know, just any, any part of that you think that people should know and hear, if you would just talk about that for a while. Right. Yeah. And, you know, first of all, you're so right to say that this issue, um, the pro-life issue is connected to the um, protection of children's biology, you know, the, the trans fighting back against the transgender movement. Uh, they're very connected and it's not obvious at first, but as we just recently saw in Ohio with the bill that was, um, or the constitution change that was made, um, you know, it was marketed as a, um, an abortion rights bill, but it really opened the door for um, an umbrella category of reproductive rights that can include uh, potentially transgender uh, interventions and on minors. Uh, so um, they're very connected and it's important that all of us in this fight to protect life, whether it's the preborn or, um, you know, life till natural death in, in all its beauty, uh, it's important that we recognize the um, attacks against life in all its forms. So uh, we, we have been, um, like I said, initially doing what's best for children since the inception of ACPEDS. And it was that the college ACPEDS was founded uh, because some members of the American Academy of Pediatrics, a much larger um, pediatric group, they were getting frustrated that the AAP was straying from scientific resources and they were not basing their decisions on medical evidence and, and what was best practice. They were following some of the political winds and um, and uh, going not even listening to the members sometimes. Uh, so we've recognized that when you're making medical decisions for children, you have to look at all the evidence. And this, the transgender interventions 
when this started to occur and started to affect children, we quickly quickly realized that there is no research here. There's no evidence that this is good medicine. And in fact, there is evidence that it's doing harm. So so we've we've been in this since the beginning. Uh, it's it's really heated up though in the past uh, even just couple years. And uh, while we are involved in many other things with the health care of children uh, and the rights of pediatricians, this issue was clearly getting um, a lot of attention and there was a need for resources for parents, for doctors, for policymakers. And so we decided to launch an initiative uh, that we would really focus a lot of our efforts on getting this information out there. And it involved the biggest, the biggest visible part of this initiative is our biologicalintegrity.org website, where we've piled just, uh, it's loaded with good stuff, fact sheets, uh, a, a map to see where, you know, where the country's at for um, these transgender uh, laws uh, and protection laws specifically for minors. Um, so we we launched that uh, over a month ago, and we have just been our inboxes are overflowing. People are um, very excited about it and passing it along, which is which was the intent. Wow, and thank you so much for yeah for your. I really appreciate your group, and I know it's a large team uh, team effort when it comes to having a voice, being bold you know, not, not backing down to Goliath, like, um, insults or Goliath, like pushes. Um, so I'm wondering if we should, you know, well, let me, um, human health, hhs.gov, human health services on trans, on T day or whatever it is. Uh, I, I, let me just pull it up so I can actually say it correctly. Um, yeah. So on trans day, I guess it's called, they published an article um, on hhs.gov talking about how detransition um, is child abuse. That's the summary, my summary of their article. Um, when you talk about attacks, um, would how would you describe some of the attacks that you have seen, whether it's an article by hhs.gov saying the opposite of what's true or or maybe it's more attacks on like cancellation or or you know verbal or electronic communications attacks. What kind of attacks have you guys experienced? Yeah, we. I mean, we've always kind of been in the crosshairs because uh, because of our viewpoints on life, as you know. Uh, you know, we're we're in here with good friends. Um, and uh, this issue in particular, though, there is a uh, ideology component of the transgender movement that, you know, is um, resistant to uh, civil discord and uh, facts. And so, you know, we have called for um, our other professional organizations, you know, the American Academy of Pediatrics, the Endocrine Society, and we've called on them to just simply have a dialogue uh, and to address these facts. Uh, and so, you know, even at the professional level, uh, we're dismissed as uh, fringe and um, not based in facts. And, uh, and, and we get called awful names. And, you know, that's what happens, though, when they when they can't debate us, when they can't stand up against the facts, they start name calling uh, and, and doing all of those sorts of things. Uh, and that's, you know, that's our, our professional colleagues in medicine doing this. 
Uh, and, um, you know, we do the, the media, uh, mainstream media, we get a lot of um, pushback also. Uh, and so it's, it's definitely an uphill battle. But as I've told many people, we shouldn't despair because there is a huge silent majority, I would say, of people out there, even physicians, who do not believe that this is settled science, that they do not believe that these treatments um, are the right thing to do. But they are so afraid of the pushback, like they see us get and that they've probably experienced, uh, that many just uh, keep their, you know, keep quiet and, um, you know, d don't want to get uh, in trouble or worse, lose their livelihood or, you know, worse, have their family or themselves uh, attacked. I, I get many calls from our members or for other from others saying, um, you know, I'd, I'd love to do more, but I, I can't. My institution um, would reprimand me for uh, speaking against their policies, uh, even though I disagree with them. Uh, you know, and, and um, we've had members that have gotten even fired from their institutions or reprimanded. And so it's, uh, it, it is, it is difficult to, to speak out, but as you know, there's, th there's no other option. Uh, if, you know, when you see this, when you uh, hear about the harms that are happening to children, uh, you can't, you can't not say anything. So I've got a couple of questions to follow up with, but I'd like to start off with the name. So with the name of the website being Biological Integrity, that seems to be a much uh, more positive and healthier name than D-Transition. Um, can you speak to maybe how that name was picked or do you know the backstory of the, yep. you know, of this, you know, of the conversation to pick that name? Yeah. You know, well, first of all, all children are born in the right body. Uh, there's no such thing as a child being born in the wrong body, which is what uh, the transgender ideology claims, that there are individuals that uh, externally or their chromosomes will be male or female, but really they're the opposite. And so we have to do these harsh, harmful medical um, treatments for the rest of their lives to try to, you know, make, make them who they really are, <laughs> which is just, that's just uh, ridiculous, just listening to that. So we believe that uh, biological integrity means that uh, a person, we should, we should work to help people align their, um, their physical, their mental, uh, emotional, all that um, to the person that they are. And so, if children are struggling with gender dysphoria, which is uh, the diagnosis for children who don't feel comfortable in in the body or with the sex that they were born uh, as, um, so if if that's occurring, we know from research that a very high percentage of those children have underlying mental health disorders. Uh, you know, about one fourth or more have autism or autism spectrum disorders. A large percentage have suffered uh, childhood events such as abuse, uh, neglect. Uh, and so there are underlying reasons that could lead a child to be afraid of, uh, you know, being the sex that they are. And it's, it's important that we look into that 
Uh, and and mm-hmm. as for any child experiencing distress, anxiety, uh, you know, especially suicide thoughts, you have to address those issues first before you address anything else. And if you do that, if if you support a child through uh, natural puberty, we know before all these treatments started that uh, 95% of um, up to 95% of children, the statistics vary between 88 and 95% of children will go through puberty and feel comfortable with the sex that they were, that they are. Uh, and so to, to try to, you know, um, follow these children down this path of I'm born in the wrong body. I want to be the opposite sex. Uh, when the vast majority of them, would feel comfortable, uh, this would resolve on its own. Um, to, to medicalize them and have them, uh, you know, become lifelong patients, uh, to suffer harmful side effects of these hormones uh, and the surgeries, uh, it's just unfathomable that we would even go down that path. So, okay, so... I think we probably should define the different um, attacks on children through this methodology and I, you know, this, these ideas. So when do you think it starts? Do you think it starts when they're five to seven, maybe like in their education and then the hormones, the hormone blocks and hormone ads, maybe you start pre-puberty, in puberty. Uh, how would you define these different areas that are leading up to this um and also, I guess the other question might be is, do you think the social media, it, it, that this T, as in LGBT, this this T is part of a social media contagion, as well as maybe being propagated by education at the earlier age groups in like a public school environment? Or do you even, do you, do you even do, yeah, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah. Well, as a pediatrician and as a parent or anyone who spent time with children, you know that uh, kids have this very fantastical um, view of the world. That's just how their brain develops. That's normal. And children uh, are exploring who they are, trying to figure out who they are, trying on different um, you know, things. They, they want to be uh, an astronaut or, you know, they want to be a dinosaur. I mean, this is just who children are. And so from a very young age, uh, you know, when children do that, uh, you have to um, treat them like children. You know, sometimes uh, you, you know, you go with their imagination. Um, it, it's part of the nurture. Uh, but, you know, on issues of uh, sex, you know, those are, those are things that children learn through society, through our culture of, um, you know, some of the norms or, or what it means to be a boy or girl. It's not stereotyping them in one way or the other, but as, as adults, as parents, we guide them in their development. That's what we do for everything. Uh, and so, um, you know, with this, with this transgender ideology to, to say that when a four-year-old or even younger, I've heard, uh, comes to you and says, you know, they think that they're the opposite sex and to take their word for that is just ridiculous. And so, um, you know, that just developmentally speaking, we need to to treat children as children. They're not small adults. We have to um, appreciate their developing mind and nurture it 
and respect it. Um, but also, um, you know, make sure we're not, um, you know, they're children and they're under our care for a reason. We don't just turn them out to the world. Uh, they, they need to be supervised. So, so, you know, at a very young age, um, it starts, you know, at the home and, and just how, how we treat young children. And then as they get older in schools, uh, I, um, you know, I, we have concerns. There's a lot of curriculum in schools that uh, are exposing kids to this notion, the transgender ideology, you know, that, gosh, you could be a boy or you could be a girl. And um, that's so confusing to kids and we're confusing them. And so they're hearing it at school and they're being exposed to it. And it's actually, it can be harmful. We know that um, in the same way, you know, that exposing kids to, uh, you know, pornography or even just basic biology too young, um, they, they just can't comprehend it. And so uh, it's, it can do more harm to kids when they can't understand something. Um, they have to sort of, you know, work with that in their mind. And um, they're just not developmentally ready to, to handle a lot of things. So school curriculum is very important uh, that it's developmentally appropriate. And, and we, there are um, some curricula that do that. Uh, unfortunately, though, there, there are a lot of schools out there that that um, you know are, are pushing something that's not healthy for children. Um, and then you nailed it with the social media. I mean, that um, th what children are exposed to on social media uh, is can be very harmful um, for kids. And especially, you know, the teenagers and preteens. This is the the time when brain development is just rapid, and it's you know the brain is surrounded by hormones and um, you know puberty, and you throw in uh, you know this bad information on social media, and you um, you um, make children, um, you know, it, it they follow the a lot of these people on social media and these groups and, you know, sort of just get entangled uh, in it. Um, and it can be very dangerous. Yeah. And so it sounds, yeah. And I know that the, the school education, at least public school, and then it sounds like also parental influences plus social media is impacting these younger children towards a trajectory towards this effectively it's culture at some levels, but really those are the, I would say the, the more focused spheres that seem to be influencing. Can you speak to what a hormone, when someone has hormone blocks applied, when does that, when would, when, when is a child or a person, you know, when, when would that be applied? Is that during puberty? Is that what that looks like? So the, the, the um the reasoning for the puberty blockers so they they are used legitimately for some men medical conditions that children have called precocious puberty where uh, a child will start to um uh have high levels of hormone pubertal levels of hormone uh too young you know as, as young as four five and six when they should be starting you know years later and if that is and that's a malfunction. There's there's something that is occurring that puberty is is um, turning on too early, and if we allow that to happen, um, there's many side effects. Um, some of them are 
they will uh, grow too fast too soon and their final height will be much shorter than um, their peers often or their their predicted height. Um, you know, it's very distressing if children are experiencing, um, you know, um, development of, uh, you know, body parts that aren't meant to develop for a few years. Uh, and so there's, there's just, there's many complications that can happen. And so, um, those, those puberty blockers have been used to slow or suppress that onset. What they've then now been used for, uh, with transgender interventions is, um, twofold. One, one, they say, uh, you know, if you're questioning your sex, uh, and it's distressing for you to start having these the development of these secondary sex characteristics. We can pause it, give you a little time to think. Do you want to be a boy or girl? Uh, and that that's where the first lie comes. You you can't pause puberty. You can block these hormones, but you are um, you are interfering with nature and and timing in ways that we can only begin to understand. Uh, you know, during puberty, there's more than just the you know, sexual organs that are maturing, your brain is maturing and that um, is being bathed with all these hormones. And so without that, you know, what's happening to the development of a child's brain, uh, our skeletal stu structures, muscle structures, all those require these puberty hormones. And so if you block that when it's supposed to happen and, um, you know, say you even uh, unblock it, uh, those aren't reversible like they are claiming. Uh, we don't know what we can get back um, when you restart puberty years later. Uh, and so uh, that's that's very harmful, the, the puberty blockers. The other thing uh, I should mention too is um, when you block uh, the, the puberty blockers before a child is able to fully mature, um, they will not, um, they will not develop sperm, ova, they will not be able to then have children down the road. So if you, if you block, um, you know, that, that from happening, that process of, um, you know, being able to produce mature sperm in the ova. Um, and then if you especially then follow that with, uh, cross sex hormones, so hormones of the opposite sex. Uh, that child will not be able to have children. They will be infertile. And that decision to do that, if that's happening prepubertal, you know, there's there's no way that a child can truly be informed as to what that means for them down the road. There, there's just no way they are competent to make that type of decision. So I want to talk about the hormone ads, the cross-sex hormone ads. But before we do, can you speak about at what age is someone's brain fully developed enough to be able to make decisions of that caliber? So it, it's in the mid twenties, you know, around 25 is when that frontal lobe, that last part of the brain to develop is fully mature. And that's, that's the part of the brain that um, is responsible for executive function. The, the big high level decision making um, the impulse control uh, really, you know, having control over those um, other parts of our brain that are more emotional. Uh, and so, you know, that that's the part of the brain that needs to make be making these big life decisions. And, you know, we've 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 
thought this for decades, probably centuries. Anyone who's watched a teenager, you know that they're not making the best, you know, executive function decisions. <laughs> um, but now we even have functional MRI studies. We have just very sophisticated uh, science to show us that this is in fact true, that that brain is not fully developed until the mid-20s. Wow. So let's go back to the, so, so home run blocks, the earlier they are started, possibly the more damage they, per, you know, well, essentially if it's pre-puberty, pre they're even more damaging. What about horm cross-sex hormone ads? Can you speak about that topic? Yeah. You know, the, um, so, so what the cross-sex hormones do is um, if you're a, a female who wants to become a male, um, you would be taking high doses of testosterone, which is, you know, the male hormone. If you are a male wanting to be a uh, female, um, you will be taking sometimes testosterone blockers as well as estrogen, um, those types of things. Uh, and we know, and there's, there's been even recent studies out that show uh, the harmful effects these have on um, both men and women their cardiovascular system, you know, a higher risk of um, strokes, a higher risk of um, cardiovascular disease and events. Um, you know, there's also effects uh, with uh, depression, anxiety, aggression, um, you know, suicidal thoughts. I mean, th these are high levels of hormones we're talking about. This is above what a natural um, male or a natural uh, female would be producing um, that these kids are injecting uh, or taking. And, um, you know, especially with the testosterone, if you were to take testosterone, either a male or a female, there's, there's a little bit of a, um, uh, you know, a, a euphoric effect or, you know, there, there's some, you know, energy, there's some things that you can feel the effects of that, maybe temporarily uh, make you feel better. Um, and so, you know, when, when kids are starting on that, um, they're feeling these effects. Um, and then often they are, you know, they're getting acclimated to them and then they're increasing the dose. <laughs> they're not seeing the effects. And so um, it's really, it's, it's, it's playing, um, it, it's playing with pretty dangerous chemicals. It's, it's not just like, um, you know, taking a Tylenol or taking something that that can wear off. I mean, it's it's really having an effect on your body organs um, that can have pretty damaging effects. And what ages do you know? What ages are people most vulnerable, or is that being targeted towards children? Like, how would you describe the ages that that's being used? Yeah, so we're we see it, um, you know, when um, if a child is going through this process, it's I call it like it's a conveyor belt or a you know the transgender train, and it's it's really hard to get off of. And and there's even studies that show, um, you know, once kids start on puberty blockers, ninety five percent of them, you know, go on to cross sex hormones and and down that path. So. Um, you know, that the puberty blockers really, um, you know, can start at any age, but if they're promoting them often to be started before the development of the secondary uh, sex characteristics. Um, and so those are pretty young. And then introducing cross-sex hormones um, 
you know, at a time when they uh, should be making, you know, should be having their own hormones and the, the appropriate hormones. Um, so, you know, during puberty, um, or if these are started later on children or adults, they're, you know, they're really given at any age um, to produce, you know, what you're doing is you're producing um, the effects of these hormones. So it's a, it's really a fake you know, you're creating these fake characteristics, um, you know, from the hormones, uh, you're, you're making your body, you know, try to try to look like something it's not by by giving it these hormones. So they're, they're done at any age. But if if a child has started young, I mean, that's the course they could they could go on where they're, they're blocked, and then they're they're put on opposite hormones, um, you know, at around their natural puberty. So that's, that's teen years, you know, early teens. Um, and then when it comes to hormone blocks and hormone ads, are, are those being, is that like a lifetime subscription at some levels when it comes to like, you know, they start in their teens perhaps, or early, you know, in their pre-puberty and puberty ages, but does that actually continue on or, and then the same question would be for the surgeries. When does that start? And then does that, you know, how many surgeries would someone have in this you know, conveyor belt experience? Yeah, these are good questions because people don't think this through. I think people initially, when they hear about these transgender interventions, if they're not very knowledgeable, they think, oh, what harm could it do? You know, you're just blocking puberty for a little bit or you're doing a little bit of hormones. Um, but that's, you have to think what's the end game. And so if you start someone on this path, if you say are a biological female and you, and you want to look like a male, um, you will always need hormones to do that for you. There will be no point where you will be a male and your body produces those hormones. So the minute you stop, your body is going back to its natural state. It's trying to you know produce those female hormones. Um, and so you have medicalize someone you have they are they need to take those hormones for the rest of their lives if they are going to be maintaining that um, outward appearance uh and then um the surgeries um i mean that's that's even more devastating so you are taking healthy body parts and um you know removing them or manipulating them in a way that they were not intended to be and uh it, I know as a doctor, all of us know when you, the body is trying to heal itself constantly. And so if you try to change it, it's going to try to go back to its natural state. And, um, you know, the, so you're, you often you hear horrible stories from detransitioners or, or people who've gone through this experience and, you know, either change their mind or, or just, you know, they're in the midst of it. Uh, it can be horribly painful infections, um, you know, repeat surgeries, reconstructions, you know, you really medicalize this person, you know, maimed their healthy body uh, and not not made them the best they could be. And, um, you know, so you asked how young the surgeries start and, uh, you know, they, a lot of places claim that they don't do surgery on minors, but there are there's evidence, there's facts, um, even from the institutions themselves that will do these surgeries on minors, um, you know, double mastectomies, um, you know, on girls at 16. Um, there's many stories of that, uh, even younger. Um, 
And so, again, you know, again, you're working with a, a, a teenage brain that, that is not competent to make this sort of uh, decision, this sort of informed consent. Wow. How would you classify that kind of surgery? I mean, it's somewhat elective, but how would you classify it completely when it comes to someone doing this? And, and I, well, and really, is it the child making this decision or is it the adults in the room pushing a child towards this decision? Right. Yeah. I, I mean, no child makes this decision alone. <laughs> uh, there are, you know, I, this is where, uh, you know, my anger is with my fellow physicians that are that are doing this to children. Um, who should know better? Who should know that this is harmful? That this is not what we um, took an oath to do as doctors. Uh, and so, you know, they are they are the ones that are really, you know, as as doctors, you are supposed to tell your patient, tell their families the risks and the benefits. And so they're they're not they're not disclosing that completely to the patient and the families. Um, and, you know, I don't, you know, while some parents may be, um, you know, the ones pushing it, I think uh, a lot of times they are doing it out of fear because the doctors have told them, if you don't, um, if you don't affirm, <laughs> which is really, you know, you're not affirming your child's natural body, but if, if you don't agree with your child and if you don't, agree to um, change them to the opposite sex, then they're going to commit suicide. That's the biggest line you hear. And that just puts fear in any parent. And they will do anything um, to, to save their child. And so they're told if you uh, don't do you know, these hormones um, or this surgery, if you don't affirm your child, then um, you're, you know, your child's going to commit suicide. That's that's what the the facts. They they try to say that this is what the facts show uh, when it's completely false. Um, and you know, so they will say, you know, if, if um, their son wants to become a girl, you know, would you rather have a, a dead son or a daughter? A, a, you know, a live daughter. I mean, that's just it's it's just really scary. And so parents, um, I, I don't blame parents when they're put in this position and they've been told this by people that they should be trusting. Uh, you know, that that they're down this path. And part of the Biological Integrity Initiative is to get this information out to parents. You know, our website was meant so that um, there's sections for parents, even for teens, um, as well as for physicians and policymakers. But you could go on there and you can read this information that's, you know, it's common sense, but it gives you the research to back it up. Uh, and, and um you know, then to be able to find the strength to, to say, no, let's, you know, let's look into this. Um, this isn't the right thing. There's other options. Uh, there's a better way um, to help my child. So when it comes to like this, you know, this voice um, that your you know, American College of Pediatricians has on this and your group, how much of this feels like you're going up against Goliath? Like when it comes to, you know, you know the funding, the the dot gov, the you know these. It's cut out. The, the sorry, Megan. Trying... Oh, sorry about that. How much? How much of this feels like you're going up against Goliath? <laughs> uh, you know, every day. But I, I really, I'm honestly not discouraged because I don't care if it was ten Goliaths. 
Like you, you just have to say the truth. Like there's, it doesn't change my mind. I don't care if, you know, um, you know, what other people say. And I've got, you know, we've got good people, smart people working on this that, that, that agree. Um, and, and the science is there, the evidence is behind us. So we have truth on our side. Uh, so I'm, I'm not discouraged, uh, at all. So when it comes to pricey clinics, what do you, I, I, um, I believe they need a place to refer for where someone can get biblical sound, biblical, uh, based counseling or biblically based psychological services for when someone needs help in one of these scenarios of, you know, of, of a T maybe needing to go back to their, you know, needing, needing biological integrity and really in who they are more so than who they have been lied about and the false beliefs that surround their confusion. Um, When it comes to pregnancy clinics, having a place to refer for a counselor or a psychologist what advice or insight might you have when it comes to your, you know, the biological integrity site and your group? Yeah. I, you know, when you first brought this up about, you know, getting pregnancy centers in the loop on this transgender issue, um, I thought that was uh, very forward thinking, very insightful, very smart because uh, Planned Parenthood and the other side uh, has jumped on this transgender train. I mean, they are dishing out these hormones. And so it's like we talked about, you know, at, at the start of this, these issues, the the life issue, abortion, the transgender issue, protecting biological integrity, those issues are more intertwined than I think many people realize. And so often when kids are, you know, searching for help, they're going to regardless of what it is, you know, they're sort of associating whether it's Planned Parenthood or pregnancy centers with a place to help them with these issues of sexuality, reproduction, life. You know, it it really, that connection, I think, is one that many people make. And I, I don't really know how well these pregnancy centers are set up to, uh, to deal with this. And I think we, would miss a lot of opportunities to help people who are looking for uh, help and looking for information. Um, the best place to start for kids who are in this realm of, you know, gender dysphoria or caught up somehow in the transgender ideology, the best resource is a resource is a good counselor. And um, you know, the American College of Pediatricians we're not a religious based group, but many of our members are. Um, you know, religious, uh, and we work with a lot of religious uh, organizations. Uh, so we do have a re- um, referrals on the biological integrity uh, website that people can go to search out good therapists, good counselors, and many of them are um, religious-based counselors. Um, and I, you know, I just I think speaking from if I, you know, as a non-religious, I'm, I am a religious person, but as a non-religious person looking at this, um, you know, these counselors are set up to look at the whole person. You know, that's what they do. And that's really what these kids need, mind, body, uh, spirit. And so I think that's why they do such a good job, regardless of, of the faith. And, you know, if you want to take that out of the equation, um, you know, regardless of that, I think they just, they 
they are looking at the whole child. Um, but I, um, you know, speaking personally, I think that um, religion plays a big role because it's this respect for your body and who you are and, you know, family and community supporting that. So it's, it, um, there are studies that show that kids who do have a religious, um, you know, who have a faith or who have a, a family that um, can support them do better uh, with this. And so I, I would encourage the Pregnancy Resource Centers to, um, you know, look at our website, use those resources, um, and it, it will connect you to their their own websites and you can use their tools to find um, a therapist or a counselor in your area. And that's, that's the best place to start. Yeah. I, I, um, I would say I've got a vision for uh, pregnancy clinics, having a place to refer to that would, that would provide um, biological integrity or essentially help someone detransition from T back to um, heterosexual slash normal. And, and, and then also, um, and I'm, I'm hoping that someone would have that within seven months, but it, you know, right. Essentially from now within seven months, every clinic would have a place to refer to. And then looking past that, I think within like 17 to 19 months, I'm really hoping that some pregnancy clinics start having someone in house. If the need grows for their clinic, that they might consider bringing someone on board to support their clinic and neighboring sister clinics when it comes to referrals. Um, and then I was, I've got a question for you. So when it comes to having a place to refer to, what are, and this might be outside your scope of your experience, but and, it's, and that's okay if you don't feel comfortable answering it, but what are your thoughts on asking a church who would provide non-professional counseling to help when it comes to this type of counseling and, and being able to yeah. evaluate a church might, who, who may be equipped, even though it may not be a professional association for a pregnancy clinic to refer someone to a church for more biblically sound, but maybe not professional counseling in this right. area. I, I definitely think um, it can help support the system. I, I will say on the other side of this, when you have children who are going through gender dysphoria, the other side will make the claim that, um, you know, teachers, school counselors, they can go talk to their teacher or school counselor. When true gender dysphoria requires uh, a psychologist or psychiatrist um, with the um, most advanced training, I mean, this is, this is a really... Um, a really tough issue to deal with and you and you need um, someone who is very experienced in it and what's happening is uh, we are getting you know people who are not qualified to um, children are going to people who are not qualified you know teachers guidance counselors you know people who are not certified in you know therapy for children and this this level that's needed so I think it can help support that um, I do think though there there are, um, truly, um, you know, those counselors that specialize in this. And, I, and I, you, you do need someone at that level. Even, you know, even as a pediatrician, I, you know, I can address the medical issues and get them to the right people. Um, but to be able to counsel a child and a family through this um, really re requires someone with, with skill, um, you know, to be able to do this, right? Because 
often, like I said before, there's underlying mental health issues, other other issues that that need to be addressed, that need to be brought up. Yeah, I'm just thinking that with with uh, a lack of the prof- you know of for some people they may not have a counselor in their county or a psychologist in their county, and I'm just trying to think of like what what would they do in that situation. Um, as a pregnancy clinic or as parents who are trying to look for someone. Um, yeah, I'm just trying to think. And also when it comes to, yeah. you know, the government and maybe some, well, actually, let me ask you that. When it comes to professional associations, are professionals, professional associations following the Goliath of the government and this T push, or are some professional associations fight, you know, holding to what's true even, you know, regardless of false beliefs by a, a Goliath-like um, group trying to push them into right. uh, s- submission. Well, this is this is what's truly scary, is that um, not only is the government uh, and these professional organizations um, not encouraging, you know, counselors um, to counsel these children, they're actually threatening Anyone who tries to counsel a child um, tries to dissuade them from this transgender thinking, which, I mean, you, you can't even <laughs> you can't even comprehend yeah. how counterintuitive that is, how how devastating that is, and we've pushed back actually um, on you know regulations that this administration is trying to put in place that. Um, prevents, you know, under threat of losing, you know, your license, uh, you know, threat of uh, um, losing your practice, uh, you know, so we're, we're trying to protect the very people that are trying to protect children um, by, by stopping these regulations. So, um, yeah, the, the counselors that are out there, uh, they're growing. They're, they're, um, we need to support them and to stand behind them and, and help protect their, uh, you know, their um, freedom to practice this, and, and they're needed more than ever. Um, but they're not getting discouraged. They're, they're, they are pushing back. And I think just like with the pediatricians, um, you know, as more and more people stand out, the people will come out um, from the shadows, you know, that silent majority uh, will be able to speak out more. So, um, but it can't come fast enough, right? Like you said, there's, there's such a shortage of therapists, of counselors. Um, so I, I do like your idea of, um, you know, at least having some, some place for them to go, some place to, to start uh, and to help families navigate this. Yeah. So the, so the backstory for, for my experience, I think I've shared, well, I shared part of this in a previous podcast, but I want to go ahead and sort of recap it so that it can be connected here. Um, so last year there was the APLOG and ACPEDS, um, event and we were, my team was there to make record videos of several doctors talking about topics like this. And this was before I knew how it connected so deeply and you know how well the, the connection was to pricey clinics, which is really where I focus my my vision and goals in that space. And and essentially a few weeks or maybe a, actually I guess it was a few months after that event, and I was essentially you know part of the team who was interviewing many doctors with ACPs about 
a wide range of issues, and this was definitely one, was talking about the harms of tea in this case. Um, and then essentially a few months later, I went, I was doing a research project, um, and this was completely disconnected from the tea thought process or that world. But essentially, we're, I went to every abortion clinic website I could to collect keywords. And one of the things that I found when visiting so many abortion clinic websites, and Planned Parenthood's website was just one out of 188 that I went to in this research project about, and then this is not Excel data, this is just me reflecting on what I saw. I would guess about 70% were offering um, uh, T services, such as hormone blocks, hormone ads, maybe surgery, probably not surgery, but, you know, essentially some of the you know, the less, essentially the, you know, the, the probably more of the hormone blocks or hormone ads more so than surgery, I would estimate. Um, but all that to say is 70% of the abortion clinics, people, groups, you know, abortion clinics that were providing abortions were also providing hormone blocks and hormone ads. And, and thinking about like, what does that mean? Like, you know, when it comes to, you know, their motivation, their, their thought process, their, you know, maybe it's because, uh, you know, essentially our opposition or the enemy has increased scope of damage. And as Christians, as believers, as people who care about children, as as a pro-life, uh, as a pro-life team, we might, you know, we need to consider, we need to, we need to increase scope of healing as a response, because that's really what we do is we provide healing and restoration and and help to the, you know, essentially as in response to damage being done. And, and this is, this might be, we, we might be at the beginning of a brand new large fight that has overlap with the fight that we've been in for 50 years or 50 plus years. Um, and some, I was talking to one leader and I won't say the name, but one leader told me that we need to stay in our lane in response to this information but a lot of leaders have said they they've seen the signs, and so as a, as a movement, we're not all on the same page. But it, I think I think we're going to see that this is um, I think I think it's just a reality. And I, and my first response was I was really hoping this wasn't going to be in my lane, just to be perfectly blunt, because this is not an area that's this is a hard area to serve. But yet it wasn't our choice. It's really brought to us based on our opposition, increasing scope of damage. And we're and pregnancy clinics are located very often strategically next to the places that are causing this damage. And sidewalk counselors need a place to refer to for when someone is going looking for an abortion, they need to be able to say, this is a healthier direction. And the same thing with T-services. They need, we, need, we need to be able to say, oh, here's a much healthier alternative to that that dangerous direction. And it feels like a lot of it's like, pulling children out of the street. You know, everyone can agree that walking into the street as a five-year-old is dangerous and really walking into a place that promotes dangerous things. Whoops, sorry, my phone. Turn that off. Sorry about that. <laughs> so, but yeah, essentially this is the same thing. We need to be able to say, don't go into that place that's going to cause damage. Um, so I've got another question. Well, let me share this one more story with you. I was talking with a director this last week at the Alliance for Life Missouri conference, and she was sharing how they had, their, you know, they had a client come in, her and her, I guess, boyfriend, and one appeared to be a man, 
and the other appeared to be a woman, but and they were looking to get a pregnancy class, a pregnancy test. But then it turned out biologically they were the opposite of what they appeared to be. Uh, the you know essentially the woman actually had chest hair, looked very masculine, and it turned out she you know she was the one who actually needed the pregnancy test. What are your thoughts or advice to pregnancy clinic directors who may experience this? Uh, when they when they may be confronted with a man coming in for a pregnancy test who appears to be a man, but then turns out to be biologically a woman, how would you um, what what advice or thoughts do you have on you know providing help to counselors and directors who are experiencing this in the near future? Right, I you know my physician training um, when working in the ER or wherever you're working, um, you're first thought is if you're there to do medical care, if you're trying to figure out what the best treatment, what the best thing you need to do for this patient, you know, uh, whether it's uh, urgently or down the road is you have to stick with the facts. You have to stick with biology. You, you, there's no pretending, you know, if someone comes in with something you, um, you know, and you can do it in a respectful way. Uh, but it's important for us to maintain these basic facts of biology. There's two sexes. Only one can get pregnant, <laughs> and that's the one that needs the care. Um, you know, it's dangerous if you start ignoring those basic facts. I mean, um, you know, it's like it's you know, it's like the sky is purple kind of a world. And so, you as the professionals maintain those facts. You know, maintain your integrity. Don't you know? Don't don't go down these lies for the sole reason is your job is to um do you know medical care that is best for that patient so you know i know there's a lot of other things that happen um at these centers counseling and and all that but but when you are addressing it just as a patient what kind of care do they need um that's what needs to stay in the forefront um what are the facts here um and and you can do that with dignity and you can do that um you know, that, that is not hurtful to the patient. Um, but it, it's important for you to be the, the, the adult in the room or the, 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 the grounded, scientifically grounded, medically grounded person in the room. Cause that's, that's your job. That's what you're supposed to do. Yeah. Well, that's good. And, and actually I, I invited that person who had this experience onto this podcast. I'll be doing an interview hopefully in the near future and be able to share her story of, how that went and yeah, just sharing that story. So other directors can be better equipped and prepared for this new scenario that we're, we're being faced with or new, you know, not to make assumptions and to be more, yeah, essentially to be more grounded and finding out certain answers before just assuming quickly. Um, right. Right. And we do that with, you know, there's a lot of other things in medicine, you know, when you're treating people, you know, just finding out, Who's in the room? You know, who who are they? I mean, you 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 have to ask those invasive type questions sometimes as a doctor, and it's uncomfortable. And the other side will make you, you know, will call you a bigot for asking those questions or call you all sorts of names. But um, that, that that's your job. That's your job to do that. So. So my last question for you, Jill, is where have you seen God's fingerprints in this work? Like, how have you seen protection or just incredible, miraculous? you know, things happening when it comes to the work of um, rescuing and 
essentially fighting for children to have healthier um, futures. Yeah, I where I see it is where I am connected with people that um, that lead to something bigger than myself. So even like you, Jacob, you know, meeting you and your team at that conference um, and the things that have come from that and your help with, you know, the videos on our biological integrity site. I mean, just how all that came together um, is, is no accident, is no coincidence. And there are people all over uh, that are, that are working this. And I think that's where I see it. I see it in the people and that's where we always see God, you know, he, he, he is in each of us. His image is, is in us. Um, and that's what gives me hope. I, you know, I said, I'm not, I'm optimistic about this. Um, I, I really am. And it's when I connect with people like you, um, and, you know, those people in the pregnancy centers um, that are trying to do good work and care for people. Um, and so that's, that's just where I've seen it. And it's, and it's all over. It's it's there. Oh, that's that's really good. Would you uh, close out this podcast with a prayer, and then um, and hopefully those who are listening will will echo. Um, you know the the listeners and leaders who are listening will echo and yeah echo this prayer as uh, yeah so God will hear it many times. Yeah, I just. Um... My favorite prayer, it's I I I don't even like to call it a prayer because it's just so simple, but I just I often throughout the day just ask God to just be with me. Just be be with me. And because I don't I don't know what I'm necessarily supposed to do. I don't know what you want me to do. I don't know what the right answer, but just be with me, get me through this. Um and so so that's kind of you know it's it, I, I just I say that often. So just be with me, be with us uh, as we're as we're doing this work, um, and, uh, and that's all I ask. And I'm I'm so blessed to uh, to be able to be here and 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 to be with people like you, Jacob. So. So I I was at this conference um, in Missouri this last week, and or I guess it was this week. Wow, time's I'm not even sure what day it is right now. <laughs> <laughs> it was it was over the weekend and then through the beginning of this week. So, and I and I one of my favorite verses has been Philippians 4, 6 and 7. Um and and it showed up quite a bit at this conference. But it showed up and with one was a was a partial rebuke on don't tell someone not to worry with Philippians 4, 6 and 7 unless you include verse 5, which really connects with your prayer. So, verse 5 is let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. So that second part really connects with what you're asking for is God be with me. So the Lord is near. And then verse six says, do not be anxious, which is usually where I start. I would say, don't be anxious. And then about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition uh, with Thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So I usually like to paraphrase it of don't be anxious, pray with thanksgiving while being thankful, and God will protect your heart miraculously. Like that's my paraphrase of how I think about it in my mind. And But the part that really connects 
is the Lord is near. And that was the rebuke from the speaker saying, don't tell someone six and seven without including the Lord is near from verse five. And so I just want to say your, yeah, your prayer echoes what I've been hearing over the last couple of days. <laughs> so that's good. See, that's, that's God among us. I mean, that's right there. Yes. <laughs> Thank you for sharing that. That was, that was great.
Our sponsors include Heritage House, Patriot Insurance, and iRapture.com. The Pro-Life Team Podcast is a ministry of iRapture.com. If you would like to explore making a donation or becoming a sponsor or have a recommendation for who would be a good guest on the podcast, please contact us at hello at prolife.team.